to the Clients and Conversions Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Clem, and I've helped fellow entrepreneurs and business owners just like you harness the power of social media to grow your audience by the hundreds, 2x their launch sales, and have client leads banging down the door to book a call with you. And I'm the first to say that hustling and searching hours online for your next client or student is not the vital ingredient to your success or even your happiness. This podcast is for driven entrepreneurs, from coaches to course creators and everything in between, to access practical and actionable tactics on everything from how to get clients with Instagram advertising, and really unlock the keys from sales and social media to get growth with the simplest tools possible, while keeping it just long enough to get you through your walk, drive, or workout. So stick with us for this episode and the ones to come so you can get more clients and sales in less time. Now let's get into it. Now, before we go into the episode, this is sponsored by the Audience Growth Ad Experiment. This is a free guide that I created to really help answer the question of where do I start when it comes to ads, especially around literally where to start. So what I've done is I've actually put to the test Pinterest, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram ads all in a way that has pretty much the same variables that I could to see which one's gonna get you the most bang for your buck, which means the most amount of results, most amount of leads, and audience growth for the least amount of cost out of your budget or wallet. So I broke this down as best as I could. I made it super simple, but so, so, so helpful for those who are wanting to find out how to go about this, what were the actual results, which platform actually did come out on top, and where to start after that. So get your hands on that. It's going to be at danielleclem.com slash ad experiment. Also in the show notes below, such a good place to start. And also so helpful for those who were like me who wondered, okay, are Facebook ads still the best way to go? This will answer that for you. So I'll see you inside the experiment and now let's get started. Hey guys. So welcome back to today's episode. This is actually a precursor to the actual value episode of this, but I wanted to talk about this because for those who are listening to last episodes or just have been in the world the last couple of weeks, we all have been hearing about Black Lives Matter movement. And I want to make sure that not only my guests, but you guys in general hear from others who are not just myself or things on the internet, how they're actually going about their day-to-day as a business owner and person to continue the actual conversation, continue the matter, continue the movement. So right now we have on Whitney Catalano, and you'll be hearing her amazing story also right after this, but she's going to come on and just share not only what she's been doing, but what she plans to do going forward as well to continue this conversation on her platform and as a person. So let's get into it. So Whitney, (laughs) thank you for being on here. And I'm so stoked to talk about this with you because you're one of the people who have really seen show the fuck up. (laughs) Like you've been showing the fuck up, not only with this movement, but also in general. And I think it'd be really good to hear from those just hearing your not only story about this, but also how you've been shifting your life as a business owner in person from where we were at two weeks ago to where we're at now and the things you invested in, the things you've learned and taught and been talking about, just sharing your kind of experience with that and what you plan to do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, coming into the, the movement and the sort of, cause it's not coming into the start of the movement, like this movement's been around for quite a few years, but mm-hmm. coming into the past few weeks and really having it like take center stage, um, I, there were a few ways that I had been showing up in my business previously. Um, and then 
having this awareness and seeing people, seeing the coaching industry really get like called out basically was both very exciting and also like very self-reflective for me because I think in the back of my mind for a while now, I've been thinking like, how can I do more, do better, like contribute? And also how can I impact other white entrepreneurs to like be doing that as well? But I haven't actually been taking action, which is not ever like sitting in silence about like what you're going to do for months is like not helpful. Yeah. So yeah, I've really had to like sit down with myself and figure out what my specific action plan is. And, you know, if I've learned anything from, you know, taking a few courses and stuff over the past few weeks, it's having like a really specific action plan and set of policies for your business as Mm -hmm. if you are a multi-person business and not just like if you work alone, like that you're you know, not just a solopreneur, like if you're going to expand eventually. So having Mm -hmm. these policies in place has been something that has been really important to me to like figure out. Yeah, Um, I agree. I'd love to hear. And I I assume the listeners want to hear as well, the workshops that you went into, because I think you and I both either have done our different ones that have been popping up or might've done the same ones. I can't remember, but I think hearing that also for those who want to catch the replay or whatnot would be good to hear as well. Yeah. So, I mean, were you in the Latisse Hudson? I was, yeah. I actually just um, did my DNI statement yesterday. Yeah. So I was actually about to do that today, but yes. we, we did that, um, which I felt was good, but it was also um, a bit like geared towards bigger companies, which yeah. is helpful down the road. But I also realized too, like that, I, there were some really valuable pieces that I took away from that um, call. And I would definitely recommend it for anyone to just, if you have the urge to grow your business, like that's a good, great call to start with. And it was just like such a reminder to me that I really want to, um, as my business expands, I really want to invest in actually a, an inclusion coach who can help like guide me on that stuff, because there's just things that you need to think about differently as you expand your business. Oh so yeah, that was spots. really eye-opening. Yeah, and just the way that like laws that you don't know mm, and mm-hmm. and just certain regulations and ways that you want to go about hiring and just all of this like there's a lot of nuance and a lot of things that um standard like don't reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of standards mm-hmm. that are already in place, so hiring a coach to help that is super important. Um I also took a uh, Trudy LeBron's um show up and serve for white coaches. Mm. And that was super helpful. I really, really like her. So definitely go check her out. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of the two big ones in terms of like coaching specific uh, classes that I took recently. Yeah. I think the main reason why I went with Latissa is is because I still don't consider myself a coach. So I haven't fully dove into that piece, but I want to give for anyone who's listening that both those resources will be down below in the link. So you guys can feel free to go check those out, which I recommend, which everyone calls to you most, do that one first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to hear for you as well. Now that both on the other side of these workshops doing the actual work of like creating the plans, creating the statements, what is kind of your actual plan for the next couple months to even a year to make sure that this on your social media or yourself that this conversation doesn't stop? Like, how are you kind of bringing that into the fold for you? Yeah. So, I mean, some of the things that I was already doing that I'm planning on continuing are just making sure that my podcast, I mean, when I start my podcast again, but (laughs) making sure that my podcast guests are diverse. Um, So having, and I want to be more specific and more intentional about having like an equal distribution. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's never going to be perfect. That's just not possible like having an exact 50 50 split of like you know people of color and white people is 
a challenge, but I like to incorporate all kinds of um, diverse people in my podcast. So like, or people in different marginalized bodies to talk yep. about their experiences. So like different abilities, you know, um, races, ethnicities, like uh, sexual orientation, gender expression, body size. So being more strategic and on top of that so that I don't, you know, fall into any sort of, you know, one of the things that Latisse talked about was um, proximity effects. So mm. the people who are around you. And so we inevitably like get other white coaches or other, you know, people who look like us um, mm. to come do things. And so I really want to be intentional about expanding my uh, professional network as well. Yeah. And having them on my podcast. So that, and then um, another thing that I have been doing for a while is setting up regular donations to various funds. Although I'm definitely going to be changing my uh, donation, the organizations who I donate to. Yeah. Because I've been really, really invested in these uh, bail funds Mm -hmm. and I've been really interested in learning more about the ACLU and just funds. I'm just taking inventory right now. Um, And I also really like the Loveland Foundation, which Mm -hmm. is Rachel Cargill's uh, foundation and it helps provide therapy to black women and girls. And that obviously like, you know, hits home. So I feel like that's going to get a huge proportion of my (laughs) funds as well. But yeah, I actually learned about that on, um, of course now I can't remember the podcast name, but a while ago I was listening to this podcast episode and it's like, just set aside a certain percentage every year and like commit Mm -hmm. to that. And that's so helpful because you don't have to like think about it then. It's like, that's one thing that you can automate and you know, it's, and just research the causes beforehand and make sure that like, you know where it's going and then you can just set that up and let it run. That's a really good point. And first, I want to touch on the the podcasting because that's something even for myself. I noticed that as well. I've had on people of color, but I haven't been as intentional about, like you said, the distribution of it, making sure that it's as as equal, and I hate saying that word, but like as um, balanced out as it can be. And I think what you really mentioned, which is great, is this conscious awareness of each action you take. Because in podcasting and donations and so forth, that's something that a lot of us there is this awakening that's happening, which is a deeper, <laughs> deeper conversation. But I think that's really important to hear is from someone who is having multiple platforms. Like you have your podcast, you have your Instagram, you have these things there. The conversation doesn't just stop and start on social media. It has to bleed into these other facets of your business. And something that, like you said, as well, donations, same thing with, with me as well. When before this, I even did the same thing with um, donating to my savings. Like I would have it set up as a I think every paid every weekday there would be an amount that just come out so you don't think about it. And I think mm-hmm. that's the best way to do anything, especially with donations as well. So what I want to give everyone to hear from from this conversation is just ask yourself what is one action you can take each day to continue that for yourself. It does not have to be moving mountains or trying to do everything. And that's something that I've really been having to remind myself throughout this time and a lot of people as well. What is just one action you can take? So I'd love to hear from you. What is kind of like the number one takeaway or advice you give to people right now? If they were to say, okay, I don't really know where to start or what to do, what, what, what would you recommend? I mean, for business owners, I think the best thing that you could possibly do is set up um, a diversity inclusion statement, but also Mm -hmm. a set of policies like we talked about and like specific actionable things because, and share it with your audience immediately as soon as you've got it figured out so that you can be held accountable to like actually seeing that through and people will know, you know, okay, 
this is what this person stands for, but are they walking the talk? Because mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing, right? A lot of companies and stuff will post things on their website and in the heat of the moment, like, you know, it's all in the news. And so we're, we're riled up and, you know, maybe as white entrepreneurs, like you don't want to come off as um, not doing anything or whatever, but then you try to take on too much or you try to get, um, do all these things or make all these promises and then you don't actually follow them follow them through. And if you have it listed on your website, like people can kind of check in with you and be like, is that actually something that's happening? And so I think that's just a really good way to like be accountable to yourself and set a standard for your business so that you are, you know, find a few organizations that you like and kind of stick to those, get to know them well, find, um, ways that you can help out locally or whatever your calling is, whatever you feel like most inclined to explore and educate yourself on, I would say pick a couple things and do them really well, as opposed to trying to do everything all the time. I agree. And that's something where, again, really, especially for a donations piece, really ask yourself which foundations are speaking most to you to that and do the research in them as well to make sure it's actually going to real people. It's a whole other conversation, but I really want to make sure for those who are listening, like take any of the things that like sparked most for you from this talk and start with that and then come back to the conversation and then take the next step after that and just build the momentum for yourself to also build the momentum for the movement and continue this talk throughout just being a person like this is I talked about this I think on a post yesterday it's like this is a human to human issue this is not a politics or like morality or ethics this is just a human to human issue so I just want to say thank you so much Whitney for coming on and sharing your experience and also how you plan to go forward with it and so many resources that people can just start out to do and at least take the next step so thank you for coming on and for everyone who's listening keep listening to the rest of the episode because we're going to go in deeper to things that are mattering as well but mostly for internal stuff for you awesome hey guys today we have on whitney catalano of trust your body project who is a registered dietitian and soon-to-be author who helps women entrepreneurs find food mind and body freedom and so much more welcome to the podcast whitney thanks for having me thank you for being here i'm so excited to go into this because what you do is really needed but not talked about enough in the online entrepreneur space and i think you can agree with that Definitely. (laughs) So before we get started on to all the good stuff around topics and like the info, I really want to go a step back and go into your journey and kind of what led you to going down both the food path and the business path for yourself. So can you tell us a little bit of kind of what you kind of grew up with and how that really led to you starting to go down this path? Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I basically started dieting at 12 because I looked around, realized I looked different than my friends and was like, I need to, you know, quote, fix it, air quotes all around. (laughs) Um, And so I started on that journey, did Jenny Craig, gain the weight back, lost it, gain whatever, did all of that, like the classic cycle. And then, you know, I was tired of things not working. So I decided to quote, (laughs) get healthy, which looking back, I now realize was like very restrictive, very disordered for me. And it just only proceeded to get more disordered, more restrictive from there. Uh, you know, counting every bite, abusing diet pills, like it just got really messy. And um, throughout college, that was a really big issue. I, you know, was crying all the time and I was really upset and I was like trying to control every aspect of my life, including my body. And really just like overworking to the point of, you know, I can't stop. I can't 
I just can't stop to feel because if I do, like, it'll be a mess. So I actually switched my major. I was going to become a therapist. And then I was going all this, through all this stuff with food and I was struggling with binge eating. So I became a dietitian instead. I saw my school had like a nutrition program. I was like, that's perfect. I'm obsessed with food. Like, let me, you know, like this is meant to be. And what's ironic about that is that I was only so obsessed with food because, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was hungry. Um, <laughs> the, like to put it really simply, but yeah, so I went down that path and I was like, I wanted to learn everything there was about food and health and I thought that that would fix all my problems, but my binge eating only got worse. And uh, finally, I graduated college and I was getting ready to go to my dietetic internship, which is like a program for to finish my requirements, like work experience, mm-hmm. basically, to become a dietitian. And um, my dad passed away right before I went to that program. And I did the same thing that I had done my whole life, which is like head down, I just got to get through this and then I'll like deal with it later. And I thought, you know what? It's fine. I'm fine. Whatever came back from that program and like had a full mental breakdown while I was trying to like start a business because I just was all of a sudden on my own, you know? And I, something I talk about a lot now with my friends is like, uh, feeling like I was abused by the education system in this country (laughs) because I didn't know how to like manage myself. I didn't know how to stop working. I didn't know, I didn't know a balance because all I knew was like work, work, work. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it came to, you know, having all this repressed stuff coming up and like this healing that I needed to do, I really wanted to throw myself into work. And my brain was like, you're kidding. Mm -hmm. And I had a breakdown and I had to go to therapy, which was the best thing ever. Um, So glad I did. But yeah, it was really interesting because that's actually like I was starting my business at the same time. So it was this journey of like healing and figuring out what I wanted to start my business in, like what I, you know, I dabbled with like functional medicine. I dabbled with all these things because I was like still a little bit resistant to healing my relationship with food. Yeah. And then I started learning about intuitive eating and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And, you know, I've always been really involved in like, um, like I love talking about activism around like racism and, you know, I love talking about health disparities and like wealth disparities and things like that. Like I'm very socially conscious when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like I just love having conversations about it. And then to learn about fat politics on top of it and just like all of this bullshit medicine, which people listening are probably like, what is she talking about? But exactly. Like no one's talking about it. And so when I learned about it, I was like, oh my God, this is it. But then I had to heal my relationship with food in order to do that. So that was a whole journey, but that's kind of how it all began for me. Well, I think too, for those who don't know, because I don't think I've talked about it publicly yet just because I keep going on to other tangents but Whitney actually was my coach for the last I don't know four months three months four months we were together Um, and I had a very similar type of journey with what she said as well where I really struggle with the binge cycle but even more so is because the underlying feeling was lack of control so I was trying to control my food instead and one of the best gifts that working together had for me was I stopped caring (laughs) I stopped caring about losing weight or about what's going to happen with this and for me and this is something that you mentioned before but you don't know until you go through it which is that you think that you're going to gain so much weight like you're like I'm gonna have to go like buy so many clothes and this kind of thing but honestly, after stop caring, like I eat literally whatever I want, not just like that kind of BS, like I eat whatever I want, but it's in proportions. Like, I know I'm just literally eat whatever. And I maybe have a little bit of 
you know, extra happiness on me, but it's nothing crazy. And I think what's really amazing to hear now, which I think I thank you for was now that I go into each type of conversation with any new um, friends of mine, any new colleagues, anything like that, and they talk about their weight loss or weight gain, it's so funny to hear because the mind, when you are able to break out of it, there was one of my friends recently who was like, yeah, you know, I lost weight, you know, in December or January, whatever it was, but now I gained it all back. So in January, I'm going to try and lose it all again for a fight and because she does Muay Thai. And I was just like, that's the point. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And it's just, it's so amazing for those who are in this space right now where you're an entrepreneur, you're probably trying to like restrict your food or you have some type of probably thing around food. It's important that you hear this. And that's why I want Whitney to go into even more so is around this kind of, I would say dependency of how your business habits are, are very probably similar to your health habits. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to go into that for you and kind of talking about your own journey, what you see for clients on how they usually kind of use their health as a way to maybe not look at business or vice versa. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. So one of the things I always say is that your relationship with food tends to be a mirror for your relationship with other aspects of your life. So when, and it's not true for everyone, but um, what I see in my clients is that it's, if they are so hyper-focused, like you said, on controlling food, controlling their bodies, then that tends to show up and like they're using dieting actually. You know, everyone talks about like food addiction, which is just not a thing. Um, and what I really believe in is actually being addicted. And I use that word addicted loosely because it's not a physiological addiction, but it's like a a dependence on a coping mechanism. Like we can be addicted to like pretty much anything that helps us escape our feelings. And we tend to like people who struggle with dieting tend to um, use dieting, like that high you get from starting a new diet and like promising yourself weight loss and all this stuff, like as a, an escape mechanism and as a way of distracting and coping. And then in terms of work, like that's kind of the same thing. You've got feelings, you've got all this stuff. Well, if I stop to feel my feelings, it feels like you're going to have a breakdown or everything's going to fall apart. And so I tend to see this parallel with um, people who struggle with their f relationship with food also struggle with overworking and like are constantly in burnout and just are feeling so drained, but also don't know how to slow down. Like they don't know how to give themselves that space likely because, you know, or a lot of the time because their parents modeled that same thing. Like their parents were overworkers, their parents were dieters or whatever it is, or their parents just made it very clear, like, we don't talk about emotions here because it's not that, like, emotions are bad, but we just don't know how. It's, like, uncomfortable. We don't know how to do it. Like, we don't speak about it. Yeah. And so, of course, you spend your entire life coping. And, you know, one of the things I call it, it's, like, a uh, coping mechanism whack-a-mole, you know? Mm. You can start healing your relationship with food, but then that pops up in the way that you run a business or the way that you go about your career, whatever it is. Um, this need for control, this insecurity, this like deprivation mindset and restriction mindset. And I think the most powerful connection I've ever made was realizing that like my relationship, not only with overworking, but also my relationship with money was very similar to how I viewed food. Like I, you're never going to have enough once you have it, like you have to hold on to it or you just spend it right away. And it's just this like anxiety driven relationship with these things. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh my God, this is my relationship with food. Just transferred, you know, and I see that all the time. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece. And even going back, like you said, the, those highs and lows, ups and downs that we get from, you know, 
having whatever food or having an amazing launch, but then the next month, you know, it's kind of low or whatever it might be. We're then conditioning ourselves to think that that's normal and to look for that, like you said, in every other way. And there's something that I actually found out a couple of days ago called a dopamine fast, where you actually kind of take a day or even two that like takes you fully out of your normal world of sorts where you turn off your screens, you turn off anything to where it's making your your brain basically kind of go haywire. And Mm -hmm. I think what happens for a lot of people is we get so conditioned to that being normal that that freaks us out too around, you know, having to break the cycle, break the habit, break the pattern, because like you said, either your parents did it, you developed that, or you never have known anything different, which is even scarier. You know, and I think it's like, it's hard to say that as human beings, we'll ever get to a point where you're just, you don't have any coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Like you're just so, you feel your feelings, like, nah, 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 nah. like, I think that's bullshit. I don't think that's even a reality because it's such a protection mechanism. Like if you're on a call with a client and you have feelings come up, you can't just be like, excuse me, client. Um, I have to go cry. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to, can we pick this up later? You know, like you just don't, mm-hmm. can't do that. So it's, it's this thing where I don't want people to think that they can never have coping mechanisms again. Cause I think that's the scary part that mm-hmm. it's like, well, I can never have this coping mechanism again. I, I call it, um, like hiding on the couch, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like the couch will always be there for you. You can always go like curl up on the couch with a blanket, the couch being whatever your coping mechanism comfort space is. Um, but how can we start to break that up a little bit, you know, do some actual emotional processing and the healing and be aware of our coping mechanisms without judgment so that we can have a balance. Yeah, I think there was someone, I forget who I heard this from, but I loved it. It's when you're up leveling, when you're breaking through these type of things, it's not that you're going to not have struggle again, but that you're going to be able to get through it quicker. You're going to be able to like break through it and like up level like quicker and quicker and easier and easier each time. But mm-hmm. that struggle or whatever it is, or even something new will pop up. That's the guarantee. It's that, uh, it's the polarity between both of both sides of you know happiness has to come with not knowing the other side of it you can't just always be happy or else we'd have no emotional spectrum so I actually want to dive into this deeper too around what do you find for most entrepreneurs is probably the top two emotions that they are afraid or not wanting to experience like they're hiding or suppressing Hmm. I think the first that comes to mind is insecurity um, around getting clients or being successful or whatever it is. It's this kind of panic of, I don't know if, whether it shows up, because it shows up in a couple different ways, right? It shows up in um, imposter syndrome, like insecurity of who am I to be doing this or who am I to be you know, teaching this stuff? Or if you're having one day that you're struggling and you're teaching someone like let's say you're a coach for anxiety and then you have a day where you're struggling with anxiety it's like tenfold because all of a sudden you're questioning like your abilities to help someone else Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because of course we're going to be struggling and teaching people at the same time like there yes there's a certain degree of healing that you should do before you go teach someone the stuff you're about to like that you need to heal from but you're always going to have a struggle. Like you're never going to be this perfect coach who never has a struggle again. Like that's just not a thing. So I think insecurity and just this questioning of ourselves, we tend to overwork and um, stay busy as a way of like not confronting those feelings. Yeah. 
And then the second emotion, hmm, probably a fear. Oh, I don't know. Cause I was going to say a fear of being seen, but I think that goes hand in hand with the insecurity topic. I, maybe it's like a fear. I don't know all of these related to insecurity, but like a fear of not being far enough along, you know, yeah. like needing to be farther in your business, needing to like be more successful than you are, like trying to rush and control the outcome. So maybe it's controls, right? So yeah. it's insecurity on one hand and then control is the other one. I don't know if that's an emotion or not, but it's like a, this desire to like be able to predict the outcome of something and be able to like control what happens in your business, control, you know, money flow, whatever it is. Yeah. And feeling really like the more you try to pressure down on it and control it like the actual worse it gets yeah and yet that's the instinct yeah I think that's a really big piece for a lot of people to hear is a lot of these are going to be interconnected and this is something that I have noticed more and more the more times that I kind of write out the beliefs or the the thoughts that are kind of holding me back from hitting my next like level so whenever I write them out they always look different, but when I start to break them down, like actually go through them and work through them, like, oh wait, these are all just interconnected. When you work on one, you start to unearth the other and so forth. And I think what people need to hear right now, especially from what we're talking about, is that although so much of this is around the emotion and around the mind, it's because that's so heavily correlated with food too. Like I think a lot of people, the gateway is food, but then the actual work is the mind, is the emotions around it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like, what are you avoiding? Why are you avoiding it? And how can you start to create new patterns around when these feelings come up? Because, you know, I think in terms of food in general and body image in general, one of the things that, um, uh, like a myth, I guess, or like a misunderstanding maybe is probably a more appropriate word, is that kind of like I said before, you'll never have to struggle with this again. You'll never have a day. You could be so, you know, comfortable in your body or free from dieting or whatever. And that means that you're never going to have a day where you struggle with your body image or whatever again. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of what I do with clients is like, when those days come along, even when you're not expecting them, how can you learn from them? And how can you not believe it, like not attached to those thoughts, but just observe them and say, okay, this is just like, this is the part when I get really insecure about my body. Cause I'm freaking out. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this is the part when like, this is a, a theory or this is a, a pattern that I've always had. And you know, the same goes for insecurities with your business. Like this is the part when I freak out. This is the part when I don't want to do my work, even though I know I need to do it because there's something getting in my way. And like, how can we change our patterns? Yeah. Well, I want to go into this too for, for what you see for clients and for yourself too. In this part of breaking patterns, breaking habits, what have you found to be kind of like one of the easiest ways to not only identify it, but step out of it, kind of like help to break that pattern, help to kind of, you know, break the momentum of kind of being in that anxiety or thought spiral that can happen? Um, I think the best thing that you can do is really keep a running list of like things that you're inner critic or whatever says to you because your inner critic in each different realm has its own voice. It's got a script that it's really good at practicing. And, you know, the interesting thing about leveling up in your business is that it develops new scripts to, um, come up with more creative ways to make you feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And that's just because it's a new environment. And so now we have a new opportunity for like different, (laughs) different ways of feeling ashamed. So, 
um, keeping an ongoing list of like, oh, this is something that my inner critic always says, like, you're not good enough, or you are never going to get these clients, or you're never going to like make this income goal or whatever it is, write them out so that when you're so deep in it that you can't even, you just fully believe it and you can't get out of it. You can look at that list and be like, wait, this isn't me. This is a version of me. It's not me. Um, and then another thing I've been doing is recently is actually writing down the positive thoughts as well. So the days when I feel really good about myself, really good about my business, I'll write those down as well. So it's like, I can see both scripts on either side and recognize like I'm constantly kind of bouncing between the two and that's so human. So how can we stop attaching to the ones that are not serving us? Yes, I would say, and this is from experience, but also from those that I've like talked to, attachment, because it it kind of breeds into control, is probably one of the biggest blocks and like hindrances of people's success in food and and business and life, because that attachment really leads to like what I call it as well, panic-driven tactics or panic-driven like syndrome, where you're just coming from a place that is not really beneficial for anybody, but you can't kind of get out of it. So I love that piece around that because not enough people I think talk about attachment because it's kind of it's not conceptual, but it's hard for people to understand. Like for me, I was so resistant, ironically, to letting go of attachment or even understanding that I had that. Cause I'm like, well, for example, like for a goal, if you have, let's say you want to hit $150,000 next year. Now you're, if you have an attachment around that, you're going to start to notice each day you get closer and closer to close to that goal, but you're not going to hit it. So then you start to move into, I have to make it work. It has to happen. And again, that control comes in, that insecurity comes in and it all kind of breeds together. So I love that you talk about this because not enough people mention that for so many of us, we have this underlying attachment that usually comes from fear that we don't trust ourselves, we're going to be able to do it, fear that it's not going to work out for us because who's going to buy from us, what's going to happen, or any other type of fear that really is more internal than external, which it's so funny because when I look at the, when I was first starting, I remember writing down like, people feel this way about me, people are not going to like me this way, but really it's more of myself than it was anything else. So mm-hmm. I love that we talk about that and now I actually want to go into the more food-based side and go into intuitive eating. Because I think there's a lot of kind of vagueness for a lot of people who don't know what intuitive eating is or how it works or honestly how it can work for them. So I'd love to go into for you kind of how you define it for yourself, for your clients and why there is this shift that's moving towards it. Because I think there's this momentum that's finally starting to move with it, but obviously the health and quote unquote, health and fitness industry is still so large. It's like almost deafening that that, uh, movement. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, intuitive eating for starters is a a program that was developed by two dietitians in the nineties. And it's a book you could, I definitely recommend reading the book. They have a new um, edition coming out actually, which I'm really excited about because I think they're incorporating a lot more a lot more into it, but it's essentially a series of 10 steps to help you reconnect with your body and learn to trust your body around food um, without dieting, like abandoning dieting and really learning to trust your body. But anyone can do it, even if you don't have a history of dieting. Like intuitive eating is in its core exactly how kids eat if they aren't being 
regulated by some out external force. So you eat when you're hungry, you stop when you're full, not always, sometimes you overeat, cool, doesn't matter. You, you know, engage in movement that makes you happy. You um, process your feelings instead of like necessarily using food to feel your feelings. Although sometimes you got to use food to feel your feelings too. Like it's not a big deal. And I think what happens is that, or the reason why there's a lot of confusion around intuitive eating and quickly before I actually, before I do that, um, I want to also emphasize that I tend to call what I do like food freedom because I'm not a certified intuitive eating counselor. So I don't want to necessarily like co-opt their name and I'll explain why in a second. Um, but also because I feel like I work much more on the emotional side of things than the intuitive eating book does. They're a little bit more like nutrition and we're just staying in our lane and I'm like, like let's talk about your feelings mm-hmm. and trauma. So <laughs> that's like why there's a distinction there. But yeah, so I think a, the reason that there's so much confusion about intuitive eating is because for starters, like intuitive eating, that that name is being co-opted by the diet industry right now. Mm. Like learn to eat intuitively and lose weight. And the whole point of intuitive eating is to abandon weight loss as a goal because you just cannot deprive your body for weight loss and listen to your body. Like it just, those two like cannot exist in the same moment. You, yeah. It literally, it's like, they're so at odds with each other. And it's not to say that it's a bad thing if you want to lose weight, but when we look at the weight research, it's just not really supported. And like, there's a whole thing, right? There's a lot to it. So that's for starters. And then the second thing is like, I think people, what happens, right, is that they don't really read about it. They don't really like, they're maybe not ready for intuitive eating. And they think that intuitive eating is going to be this weight loss approach. And so they start giving themselves unconditional permission because that's the first step. And I get this question all the time of like, well, I'm out of control. I can't stop eating. I can't, I'm freaking out, like all this stuff. And, you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm trying to listen to my body, but it's not working. Well, yeah, this isn't a diet. This is a long-term healing process. And I think a lot of the people who have that experience and freak out about it weren't ready to do it in the first place. And we're just looking for another quick fix and thought intuitive eating is that quick fix. And that's not a problem. I'm not sitting here judging you or anything like that, but it's just, yeah, it sucks. It's hard at first. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it really isn't. And I mean, I say that with so much like, I'm definitely not, and I don't think anyone could be a true expert in intuitive eating because that's kind of like, again, it's one of those things where it's an oxymoron because it's always going to change for you. But being in this space for a couple months and even, I don't know, more than six months left, who knows, 2019 has gone by quickly. But mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing that and knowing where I'm at now, those first two months, and Whitney can attest to it, I was kicking and screaming around like actually being able to allow myself to eat whatever because again I had that worry of I won't be able to stop or I'm going to gain too much weight or it's going to happen this way but I don't know how it shifted like you said once you do the practice once you're more habitual and like really ingrain it there's something that shifts for you mentally around okay I can eat whatever whenever and that's fine and Mm -hmm. when you're able to get that that's when I think things start to shift and there is a book that I was listening to, because audiobooks have been great, but I think it's called Big Girl, it might have been, mm. um, and it goes throughout her journey of doing intuitive eating, like actually going through it, and I think it's really amazing for those who need to hear it, just start on that path and just listen to it and see if you resonate with those things that she says and go forward with it, but what I wanted to go into as well inside of intuitive eating 
is this space of kind of like truly accepting things. Mm -hmm. I think as business owners, we don't do that at all. (laughs) We don't, we haven't learned that. Like I said, in school, we're taught just push, 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 go, go, go. And something that I found out about myself, which is not surprising if you know me, but I had to find it out for myself, was around I was giving too much value to the accomplishments and awards that I was being received or results that I was Mm -hmm. getting versus just being whole and valued at where I'm at always at all times. Mm -hmm. And I don't think enough of us really make that time to do that work because it's kind of scary. It's kind of vague. It's kind of, you know, it's that conceptual thing. And for those who are like me, who probably listen to this, who are more like action oriented, because I would, I asked Whitney at least two or three times, like, give me homework. I need like, I need action steps to do. But with this thing, it's not a, it's not a course. It's not a thing that you can, you know, sign up for and be done with in a couple months or else, it probably would become bigger than the health and fitness industry by now. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, And I think there's ways that we're trying to make it, you know, a little more digestible and like a little more whatever, but it, I mean, like any healing, you know, it's a journey, it's a process and it is learning. You know, my job is literally to hold your hand when you're freaking out because everyone comes into it kicking and screaming. I don't have a single client who's like, yeah, this is, great. I is exactly what I wanted. You know, even if they come to me, like knowing that they need this and putting on this front of like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. You bump up against resistance. And what that resistance and those blocks are trying to teach you is to accept exactly where you're at. Like the more you fight it mentally and emotionally, the more stuck you're going to get. And so the key to getting unstuck is acceptance, but there's no you know, or there's very few, I've come up with some creative ones, but there's very few, you know, homework assignments or things that I can really give outside of just, yeah, this sucks. Like, how do you want to go about it? How do you want to handle it in your head? Because right now it's, you're fighting yourself every step of the way. When are you going to stop fighting and just learn to be where you're at? And it's tough. It's really hard. (laughs) It is. And I think that there's not enough emphasis in not only intuitive eating, but just stuff in general around how long things take to actually click for you and to how long it takes to actually embody that new part of yourself. And something that I noticed for myself in my journey, I think you've probably noticed as well for others, is the piece around autopilot habits around when you're eating. Like for me, one of the biggest probably two of the biggest autopilot things that happened when I was eating food was I'd either eat it in front of a screen or I'd eat it when I'm in the car. And it's ironic because even though I'm giving myself what I want to eat, I'm actually not fully there and present to know one, am I full, but two, this is actually what I want. So I'd Mm -hmm. love for you to speak on how do you see your clients or even people who are in your audience around their autopilot food habits and really identifying and starting to kind of not counteract that, but just move into that part that's actually going to help them versus continuously do those same, you know, cycles and habits. Yeah. So what's interesting is that, you know, one of the things that's kind of talked about a lot in this world is mindful eating and like getting away from the screens, like you said. And I'm a big believer that it's not mindfulness if you're forcing yourself to sit in dead silence and be super uncomfortable and it feels like a chore and it feels like something you have to do and you feel guilty if you eat in front of a screen. Like that's not mindfulness. That's just putting more rules and restrictions on how you're supposed to eat. Totally not the point, you know? 
one of the things that I try to instill in my clients is like, I don't really care how you go about it. If, if you, you know, don't mind eating in front of screens, like that's a thing that you don't really care either way. Like you still enjoy your food, then fine, whatever. I don't care. Like not on me to make this decision for you. And how can you actually start to appreciate food for what you're eating and appreciate the experience of eating um, in whatever way you find that that's natural to you. So, you know, one of the things that dieting does is it puts all this moral judgment on food. It kind of like takes away everything fun about food and makes it all about fuel and, you know, low calorie and like da 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 da. And so we start removing one by one or two by two, whatever, we start removing the things that make food fun and enjoyable. Like the going out to eat with friends, we remove parties that we might be exposed to. We food, we, um, you know, take away cheese, we take away salt, like, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, you're taking away everything delicious about the food (laughs) in an effort to lose weight. And so part of this healing process is can we have fun with food again? Can we actually enjoy the sensory experience of eating in any way, even if it's just that first bite, enjoying the sensory experience and actually appreciating what you're putting into your body because we got to get that back. We got to find the fun in it again. Otherwise, what are we doing? Like food tastes delicious for a reason. Yeah, it's true. And I think what's really interesting about that as well is knowing that, like you said, it's getting back to the root of as a like as your own kid, like your inner kid, but also as just someone who you were able to buy this food for yourself and maybe prepare it or maybe buy it, whatever it was. And to have that appreciation for it being in front of you to having it to nourish you, whether it be a cookie or whether it be a sandwich or whatever, you know, whatever you choose. And even I noticed that for myself is that it's sometimes we overlook it because it's easy to move on to the next task or move on to the next thing and not really fully be in that piece. But it's so important because I noticed it and probably everyone else has as well. When you're eating by yourself, maybe in front of a screen or wherever you're at versus when you're out to dinner and you're with someone and you're actually sharing that experience, the way you eat I've noticed is different for myself because Mm -hmm. you're interacting, you're really conversing and then you're noticing the food more because there's, even though you have quote unquote distractions around you, you're really staying more present. And I think that's something that a lot of us really need to note more of just because we, we don't look at the small things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like, um, one of the things I do, because I mean, I eat in front of screens, like mm-hmm. we all do, it's fine. But one of the things I really like to do is that when I go to take a bite, I just shift my attention to that bite. Mm-hmm. And like, I try to do it for most bites, you know, sometimes I go on autopilot, whatever. And, but now it's become so natural for me to do that because I am really excited about whatever I'm eating that it's like, Ooh, another bite, you know, I get excited about it. And so I find that that's just a little way that you can kind of appreciate and acknowledge what is in front of you, even if you're watching TV or doing whatever, because it's, if we can find these little moments in just our isolated situations, you're going to be much more likely to be able to have that mindfulness around other people or whatever, because you may find that when you're eating around people, you get anxious and you don't pay attention or whatever, you know? So it's just about connecting between the two experiences and saying, how do I, you know, how can I start to appreciate my food a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I want to go into one more thing before we go into the new author category you're going into and then the last part on rapid fire round. But I think what's really would be amazing for our listeners to hear is how you take what you learned and as for in like your intuition for actually asking yourself, what do you want? 
and actually using that in your business as well. How do you kind of add that in so that when you obviously have this more alignment with food in your body, how do you also apply those principles to your business and like business model as well? Um, I mean, I think part of it is just the way that I approach decision-making now. So for example, um, one of the things that I have a lot of my clients do, I'm sure I, we did this, I'm sure, but is making a promise to yourself that you're not going to make any decisions about food and your body um, from a place of panic, right? So it's like, if you're freaking out, you can take that information in. You can say, all right, I'm freaking out today about my body. I'm freaking out about food, um, but I'm not going to do anything about it right now. And that little shift, that little promise to yourself can be really powerful because it really helps calm down the freak out because you're no longer looking for a Band-Aid to soothe the freak out. You're just allowing the freak out to be there. And ironically, you actually get out of it quicker because you're like, all right, I'm not going to do anything about it. So let me just let the freak out happen until it's kind of worn itself out, you know? Um, I do the same thing in my business as well, which is if I am freaking out about money, if I'm freaking out about whatever, I'm not making any big decisions about my business, about what I want to do from a place of panic. And for a while I was doing that. I was trying to like make decisions when I was panicking and like for certain things and whatever. And I realized the parallels there. And so now when I make decisions to do something, it's very sort of, it's much more intuitive. It's much more um, aligned with what I want because I wait until I'm like feeling really inspired and good to make decisions. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think what's really cool about that as well is that that's something that I had to notice more for myself and for even clients of mine who get easily into panic-driven tactics or panic-driven like mm -hmm. syndrome because sometimes you can't even notice that you're in it or you are noticing it, but you're not able to move out of it. It's kind of like if you're in a tornado, you can't seem to get out of it because you can't find the, the way out. But it's where that, you know, age old phrase of sleep on it really comes into effect because depending on like, if you got a new opportunity that's like bring to you that you're not sure about or, you know, how this launch is going, how it's going to work for you, being able to come from it at a place of basically the opposite of head on, <laughs> that's when you're able to get those better ideas and, you know, actually being more in alignment with what you're wanting to do versus what you think you should do. Exactly. And when we shift out of that panic, because panic really puts us in the short term mindset. So when we shift out of the panic and allow ourselves to like sleep on it, like you said, you know, we give ourselves a chance to think long-term, think in alignment with our values and make decisions in alignment with our values instead of decisions in alignment with our fear. Yeah, I totally agree. Now I want to move into this new part of your life or new chapter, pun intended, around you becoming <laughs> a new author. So yeah. I think a lot of people, especially for entrepreneurs, one of their big goals is always to somehow create the legacy for themselves, whether it be through speaking, whether it be through a book, whether it be through nonprofits. And I'd love to hear kind of what has been your journey or like the serendipitous part of it from where you were at, obviously your journey that you've had through business and how this book came to be and really how you plan to create it for yourself. So I think 
outside of getting a book deal, it's how to write the book without going insane is probably the two biggest ones. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll keep you posted. I'm, <laughs> it's it's very interesting because I've always had a dream of being an author. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I always knew I would write a book. I've been saying that since I was like five, you know, or not five, but probably like 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kept, you know, folders and folders on my computer of like letters I've written people or things that I've written about people. Um, Cause you know, one day I'm just going to like expose all my exes and it'll be amazing. So <laughs> that book is to come. That's not this book, but it's just something that I always knew about myself. And I got approached by a publishing house who wanted to break into the anti-diet space. And they were like, is that something you're interested in? We want to, you know, we really like that you talk about emotional eating. So that's what the book is about. It's about emotional eating. And, um, you know, I had to take the opportunity. It was like, well, I got to, I got to grow to be the person who can do this. You know, I, I have to, I have to level up to meet this task and I can't wait until I level up in order to do it. You know what I mean? Like I just gotta, I, I have to take the opportunity and meet it. So that's something that I'm exploring in my mind right now is how do I do that? I'm definitely gonna be stopping my podcast while I write the book because it's a four month deadline. So Mm. it's like real fast. And yeah, I'm planning vacations while I'm writing because I know that I can write better when I'm, you know, traveling and stuff and just kind of taking more inspired. a break. More inspired, more clear-headed, like less stuck in my own apartment, you know, and um, really just being mindful of how I can take care of myself during this time. And because I know the overworking patterns are going to show up. And so being really gentle on myself and taking steps ahead of time to prepare. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece for any project. But I love that you mentioned about kind of like the accept before you're ready type of thing, Mm -hmm. because I've noticed if I backtrack to basically any opportunity I've ever gotten, whether it be a new client, new project, whatever it might be, it never was, I have everything ready now, come to me. It's (laughs) It's always a month or two prior where I'm still figuring things out for logistics or mindset and people coming. It's one of those things where it's just like, the serendipitous part where you kind of, not that you have to say yes, but you know that this is going to really change your life. So you don't have the uh, the luxury of waiting another month or two until you're quote unquote ready to start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so we covered so much ground, but I want to go into this last piece, which I love for the podcast called Rapid Fire Round, where mm-hmm. I'm going to give quick four to five questions, whatever first thought or word comes into your mind, say it and you're good to go for that. So my question first is, are you ready? I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will be. <laughs> <laughs> the first question is, favorite book you've ever read or currently reading? Mm. Ever read is probably the book thief. Really? Did okay. You, yeah. Did you ever read that book? It, the reason why it's coming to mind right now is because um, I was in a writing class last night. I started a, a writing class and I looked over on the bookshelf and like the one book that I rec- could recognize was The Book Thief and it was sitting right there. And I remember loving that book when I was younger, like thinking it was so beautiful. And so that one is just like on the t- top of my mind right now. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a uh, guest a little bit ago who her I think her two books were uh, To Kill a Mockingbird and Harry Potter. So you and her are probably the 
probably the first two who actually did a non-business book, but I'm so happy you did because yeah. I think I mentioned this on the last, po- last podcast as well, is that I'm trying to now when I read books, they're either fiction or they're mm-hmm. not business related because your brain needs that break. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. Wait, really quickly. There was another book that I read or a series of books when I was younger. It was called The Uglies. It was like The Uglies, The Pretties, The Specials, and The Something Else. It was like a series of four. And it was kind of this like dystopian world. And it's this metaphor on the beauty industry and stuff. And I remember the book like hitting so hard. Like I was like, this book is everything. I read all four so quickly. And I bought like the original covers and everything for them on eBay recently. And so I have them and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive into them because it's like, I'll let you know if it's yeah. up, you know. I can't yeah. wait. And that's so amazing that that was out earlier before any of this as well. Like that's the one thing mm-hmm. I think is really amazing about books is that they can be so far ahead of our time, like when it comes to trends and industries, but they mm-hmm. can apply at any time if the right person reads it. Exactly. Love that. Okay. What is your favorite word or phrase that you use daily? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that I use daily, my favorite word or phrase. Um, probably trust. I Because I use it daily. I was going to say, it's literally in your Instagram bio. It's literally in my handle. Instagram handle. And um, I hear it more than I think I use it. Like I, I'll be reading something and it'll say like, trust your body or trust your gut or something. And I read it everywhere. And it's always this little like flash, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think that would be the word. Yeah. I always like to ask that question because it's such a random but intentional one because I don't think yeah. people actually remember things they say or what actually they kind of in, inhibit every day. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. What is something you're not very good at or working to get better at? Hmm. setting aside a time setting aside setting aside time there we go setting aside a time (laughs) (laughs) setting aside time uh for like creativity and things creativity that it has nothing to do with my business that's huge and I really want people to just take a moment and really ask themselves if they've had the same thing where you get so easy with business that you forget about those other things. And for those who, depending on when this podcast comes out, I actually recently did an Instagram post called Operation White Space, where mm-hmm. I, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, that really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So basically what happens, which you probably agree with, is your best ideas are never in front of a screen. They're either when you're working out, when you're walking, when you're painting, whatever it is, driving for me is a big one usually. And I realized because this Thursday is going to be the 2020 planning day that if I keep looking in front of a screen, I'm never going to get the good ideas that I really want to use in 2020. Obviously, I'm still going to get ideas in 2020, but this just cultivates that creativity, that space. So even last night, I think I uh, did a coloring, like an adult coloring book. Um, there's also a book that I highly recommend even to you, Whitney, actually called Embrace Your Weird by Felicia Day. Mm. And cool. she is this girl who she's like an actress or something like that, but she has really used this book to kind of be a, 
uh, an adult discover yourself, but in your creativity. It's all about unleashing your creativity in the form of this book, like rip out the papers, use pencils, like go through it and still actually go through your limiting beliefs and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. So it's a very real type of thing that I love, but I just wanted to share that for those who are listening to this because that is where the work and the integration actually happens is in that creativity, not doing more work. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Love that. Okay. Last two questions is what is one characteristic that you believe every entrepreneur should have? (sighs) Empathy. Yeah. I think we would have a lot better of a culture of a world if you if we had more leaders who were empathetic i unfortunately i think some people get into entrepreneurship because of ego and because of like narcissism and whatever and cuz it probably makes them pretty good yep at business you know um and i think that empathetic leaders and empathetic entrepreneurs are the ones who are really going to change the world because they're able to see things from other people's perspectives and, and be mindful of their impact. Mm -hmm. And that I think is so important. I fully agree. Okay. Last question, which is my favorite one is what does success look like to you in your own eyes? I feel like success looks like you not are you living in a way that is in mostly in alignment with your values enough so that you're not experiencing that like discomfort and that cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. while also recognizing that that might not mean you're successful in your business yet Mm -hmm. right um I think if you continue to run a business in a way that is in alignment with your values and that you're constantly pursuing an existence where you're putting yourself first and you're taking care of yourself and you're making sure that like everything you do is really aligned um you have there's no like you're gonna be successful period in a sentence you know um and it just takes time so making sure you're in alignment and like even if you're not successful how can you appreciate that what you're doing is in alignment like that's what I see as success yeah I love that okay so we've covered so much from past present into a little bit of future but I want to go even deeper into that and say uh what can you give the audience a little bit of what you're looking at like what's coming up for you outside of the book what can they do to really get some more Whitney into their life yeah so I mean you can follow me on Instagram on my podcast trust your body project uh I'm on Whitney Catalano on Twitter I kind of go off. I'm like, you know, that's my really unfiltered side of me is Twitter. And, um, you know, I have a couple different programs. I do one-on-one coaching for entrepreneurs who are struggling with the relationship with food and, you know, entrepreneurs who are struggling and looking to, you know, talk about this stuff as well, like incorporate this kind of messaging. So I do kind of both, even if you never want to talk about it, we can work together or whatever. And then I also do group coaching, like food freedom coaching. I am, you know, at some point, January, February, I'm going to be starting a, uh, like a little manifestation support group. Mm. Um, very intimate. I'm not going to like advertise it at all. I'm just kind of whatever. And if it goes well, I'll keep doing them. So you never know if you hear this, DM me, but 
yeah, it's just, I kind of, I'm just playing around with stuff and figuring it out. So maybe if by the time this airs, I'll have other things going on. So come find me on Instagram. That's where you can find it all. And WhitneyCatalano.com as well. That's my, that's my space. Yeah. And everything, all the links will be down below so you guys can find more about her and see what she's up to and probably honestly see how her book writing process is going as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I want to say there you guys have it. Thank you so much, Whitney, for coming on. This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'll talk to you guys on the next episode. Bye guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I am so excited that you were able to go through it and get some actionable tips out of it. For next steps, make sure you go to daniellclem.com slash ad breakdown to get the complete ad breakdown around what one Insta ad did to help create 559 client leads and 20% sales increase in launch. Make sure to go ahead there to do that. And DM me at Clem to go in deeper to the conversation. And last but not least, make sure to leave a rating and review so that this podcast can get out to more amazing people like yourself.